Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 28 through 30. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. So who had done this before? Abraham, his grandpa, had done this to Melchizedek. He, Melchizedek the greater, blessed the lesser Abraham, and he gave him one-tenth of all he had. What is this place? There's got to be more than this. Why aren't the Jewish commentators all over this? Why aren't they writing about this? Beautiful paintings of this scene. They relate it to prayer in some way. It's in the catacombs, the first catacombs in Rome, the first catacombs of the Catholic Church. They've painted this scene on the wall. It must be an important happening in the Bible, right? What is this? Where angels ascend and descend. What is this place? The house of God, the gateway to heaven. Well, John who's a mystical writer and gets everything in a deeper way. John has this in John chapter one. Jesus was calling his apostles and Philip went and found Nathanael and said to him, we found him, we found him. We found the one that Moses talked about and also the prophets. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And what did Nathanael say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and he said, behold, an Israelite. That's a son of Jacob, a son of Israel. Jacob's name will get soon changed to Israel. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. What did Jacob have? Guile. What does Nathaniel, a son of Jacob, have? No guile, no duplicity. What you see is what you get. Jacob had guile, as we heard in Genesis 27. Jesus sees Nathaniel, a son of Jacob. He has no guile. Nathaniel says, how did you know me? Jesus said, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. How does he know that? Jesus said, because I've said this to you, because I said I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? Oh, you're going to see greater things than this, says Jesus Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What's he referring to, Jesus Christ? Jacob's dream, right? Jacob's dream. Why is Jesus Christ referring to Jacob's dream? You shall see. Jacob only dreamed about these things, but you will see these things. Jacob dreamt about it, but you will see it. Truly, I say, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending. At the time of Messiah, an angel appeared to shepherds out in the field. They were watching their flock by night. The angel appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them. and They were filled with fear and awe like Jacob. Suddenly there was a great multitude in the sky, a heavenly host praising God and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men whom he is pleased. The angels went away from them and back into heaven. They descended, they descended, and then they ascended back. In the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22, an angel appears from heaven, comes down, descends to minister to Jesus, goes back. After the resurrection of the dead, two men were standing by them in dazzling apparel. They were frightened. They bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. They have seen the risen Christ. When they go to see him return in the ascension back to the right hand of the Father, there are also two men in white 
standing there in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus, they have seen angels descending and descending, but Jesus says, you will see greater things than this. Hmm. This spot is very important. The house of God, the gate of heaven, it's the mass. It's where heaven and earth meet. The angels come down, the angels go back up. It's a reality that happens at mass, an unseen reality that most people aren't even aware of. Are you aware of it? Are you aware that the seen and unseen are united in full communion at the altar where the true presence of God, surely the true presence of God is in this place. We feed from both the table of God's word, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, and we feed from the table, God's table, his own body, Jesus. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. The altar is blessed with oil. When they anoint a new altar, they rub oil because this is the place where heaven and earth meet. They anoint it with oil of the Holy Spirit. Like when Jacob set up the pillar, the rock and slathered it with oil. Revelation 8 says, when the lamb opened the seven seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. How long does mass take? about half an hour with no music. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to mingle with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense rose with the prayers of the saints from the hand of the angel before God. That's what's happening with mass. We're in union with that eternal mass going on in the heavenly realm in the throne room of God. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. There were peals of thunder, loud noises, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. St. John Chrysostom knew this reality of the angels at Mass. He wrote this, The angels surround the priest. The whole sanctuary and the space before the altar is filled with the heavenly powers come to honor him who is present upon the altar. Think now of what kind of choir you are going to enter. Choir of angel. Although vested with a body, you have been judged worthy to join the powers of angels in heaven who are singing the praises of him who is Lord of all. He, he continues, Beyond... Behold, the royal table, the angels serve at it. The Lord himself is present. It is not only men who raise this cry filled with holy awe, but the angels prostrate themselves before the Lord and the archangels pray to him. Just as men cut palm branches and wave them before their kings to move them to think of love and mercy, so at this moment in the mass, the angels present the very body of their Lord as if it were a palm branch and they pray to him for all humanity. That's what's going on at mass. Heaven is meeting earth. Angels are ascending and descending down the ladder, up the ladder, down the ladder, up the ladder. When you go to mass, you can think of Hebrews 12, where the liturgy of the church is presented as a participation of that of the angels. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. You remember Abel, the innocent one, his blood cries out from the ground, from the cursed ground. The four corners of that altar are for the universal four ordinance, north, south, east, west. This supper is for all people of all 
time in all the world in every direction. The house of God, the gate of heaven. The rabbis say it's about prayer, that it's a stairway to heaven, but the ultimate prayer, the highest prayer, is the prayer of the mass. It is the absolute stairway to heaven. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? It's none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. Your descendants shall be like dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And by you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth bless themselves, bless themselves with the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We teach our children that prayer right off the bat because we're baptized into the Trinity of the living God. Okay, the next story tonight is where Jacob meets Rachel. Jacob goes on a journey. He comes to the land the people of the east. He looks, he sees a well in the field. That's what we're going to call Jacob's well from now on. That's the well in John chapter four, where the Samaritan woman comes to Jesus. This is now Jacob's well. He looked, he saw the well in the field and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large and all the flocks, when they were all gathered there, the shepherds, plural, would lift that stone from the mouth of the well. The water, they would water the sheep and then put the stone back in place upon the mouth of the wall. I want to tell you, if you've never seen one of these stones, they're massive. They're huge. They take several men to lift it up. Why do they put a cover? So the water doesn't get dehydrated and so that people or animals or debris don't fall down into the deep well. So Jacob said, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we're from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, oh, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it's well with him. And see, look, his daughter Rachel is coming right now with her sheep because Rachel was a beautiful shepherdess. And Jacob said, behold, it's still high day. It's not time for the animals to be gathered together to water the sheep. Well, you guys water your sheep and go, go off and pasture them. Because he wants some time alone with this beautiful daughter of Laban who's coming to the well. This is a setup. This is where people meet. Remember at the well, at the watering hole, right? But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we'll water the sheep. They had to all lift that big stone together. So that we'll wait. Jacob was still speaking to them. Rachel came up with her father's sheep for she kept them. And now when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up. He rolled the stone from the well's mouth all by himself. He hoisted that heavy, heavy stone with Herculean strength, one man. This was quite impressive, right? <laughs> Jacob watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. Wow. This is one of the greatest love stories of the Bible. I know it's fast. It goes, so, it goes too fast. It's not like a long romance novel. It's way too fast. Jacob kissed Rachel and then he wept out loud. This is romantic love. Love is mentioned five times in this passage about the patriarch Jacob, way more than any other patriarch. It's love at absolute first sight. If you've ever heard of that, or maybe some of you fell in love at first sight. Steve fell in love with first sight at my sister, my younger sister, Christy, <laughs> who he dated first before me. So I totally know Leah's pain. <laughs> the Greeks called this eros love desire, erotic love, attraction, affection, a young couple that meets and immediately feels this attraction. 
Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. We don't know what Rachel's thinking of this guy who just kissed her and is over there crying in a puddle on the floor. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son. And Rachel ran and told her father. And Laban heard the tidings of Jacob and of his sister's son. And he ran out to meet him and he embraced him and he kissed him. There's a lot of kissing going on. And he brought him into his house and Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Now we just had Christmas break. There's a three-day rule when family comes to stay, right? He is there 30 days, a full month. And Laban says to Jacob after the 30 days, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? We ought to make this fair. Well, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older daughter was Leah. The name of the younger daughter was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful and lovely. And Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you for seven years for your daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, mm, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man, so stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. I love this painting. I love this idea that seven years just flew by because he was working, he was pouring himself out to win this woman to his heart. And Jacob said to Laban, finally, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Seven years is up. I'm ready. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. It's going to be a wedding feast. And that means a lot of eating, a lot of drinking, dancing, drinking. And in the evening, Laban took his daughter, Leah, Leah, <laughs> and brought her to Jacob. He's supposed to be marrying Rachel, the love of his life. Laban brings Leah to the tent and Jacob went into her. Oops, <laughs> wrong wife. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And this is irrevocable, much like the father's blessing. Once a marriage is consummated, it's consummated. It can't be undone. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. As part of her dowry, he gives her a maidservant, Zilpah. It's a wedding gift, objectification, but she owns Zilpah now. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Do, do, did I not serve you for seven years? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Why then have you deceived me? <laughs> That's the pot calling the kettle black, right? This is exactly what you sow is what you reap. The deceiver gets deceived. What goes around comes around. Do unto others as you would have it be done unto yourself. Jacob has met his match in Laban. Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger one before the firstborn. Hmm. It's not supposed to be in his country either, because remember their mother and father, Rebecca and Laban, our brother and sister, they seem to have a way of helping another one deceive another for something that seems to run in the family, right? Jacob is accustomed to getting whatever he wants. Jacob wanted the birthright. He got the birthright. Clever, right? Clever, clever. Jacob wanted the father's blessing. He got the father's blessing. But now, the circumventer has been circumvented. The supplanter has been supplanted. The deceiver 
has been deceived. Jacob has been outwitted by Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban says, complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. He has to wait seven days to be with Rachel, but then he has to work another seven years to pay it off. Uncle Laban plays very dirty. Jacob did so. He completed her week. Then Laban gave him, his daughter Rachel, to wife. Laban also gave Rachel her own maidservant, Bilhah. So Leah got Zilpah. Rachel gets Bilhah. So Jacob went into Rachel also. And he loved Rachel more than Leah. Did you hear that? Is that going to be good, ladies? He loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Now, to compare is to despair. The love the husband feels for these two women is way different. But to compare is to despair. But Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. To compare is to despair. And we still do it today. We look at Instagram and we see how we measure up. Oh, wow. Did you see that vacation they're on? Oh, my. Did you see that outfit she had? Where were they? We, why weren't, we were invited to that party. Where are they? What? Mm -mm. To compare is to despair. Jacob and Rachel have this mad love affair of a wedding. Oh, yeah. And then there's Leah, the other wife. So she's going to have to fight this her whole life. She's a dutiful wife. She's obedient to her father. She starts having children immediately for Jacob, her husband, but his affection, his love is always for Rachel. So Leah knows the pain of the unloved wife. Half of marriages end in divorce. So a lot of women know the pain of being an unloved wife. It's a horrible feeling. It makes us have much mercy and love for Leah. Uh, Leah is the story of the unloved wife. So for 14 years, Jacob will labor, free labor, to get four women. He has four women now, Leah, Rachel, and two concubines, Zilpah and Bilhah. Here's a contemporary painting of Jacob and his four women. <laughs> but when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So the unloved wife by the world, the Lord is blessing. The, the loved wife by the world is left barren. Hmm. Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben. She said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. I've given him his firstborn son. He's going to love me now, right? No. She conceived again. She bore a son. She said, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated, he's given me another son. And she named him Simeon. Now Jacob's going to love me. I've given him two sons, right? Wrong. I had to give Steve five sons before he loved me. <laughs> again, Leah conceived. She bore a son. And she said, now this time, my husband will be joined to me because I have given him three sons, a trinity of sons. Therefore, she named his name Levi. He'll become the great leader of a great priesthood. He's going to love me now, right, right, right? Wrong. Then she had Judah, her fourth son. She conceived again. She bore a son. You know what? Forget Jacob. This time, I'll just praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah, which means I will praise the Lord. Judah means thanksgiving and praise. This time, I will praise the Lord. Forget Jacob. Do you see what she's doing? Now she's falling in love with the Lord. She's developing a relationship with the Lord. And things of the world don't matter as much because she knows now who her number one bridegroom is, the Lord. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. From now on, I will praise the Lord. And I'm sh and she embraces this little baby Judah. And what does Judah become? The tribe who bears Messiah, the Lion of Judah, the royal tribe from the unloved wife. See how good God is? This time I will praise the Lord. And she does. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Envy's one of the seven deadly sins. She's the one who's got everything, the looks, the husband, the love. She has no babies. She's envying her ugly, fat cow, weak eye sister who has four little boys. Give me children or I'll die, she said to Jacob. And Jacob got angry. That kindled his anger against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? She needs to be developing a relationship with the living God, right? It would help everything. It would help her accept her lot in life much better. Rachel says to Jacob, here's my maid Bilhah. Go into her that she, that she may bear upon my knees. Do you see what she's going to do? She's going to sit on her knees and pretend like she's having this baby, but it's really going to be coming out of her midwife Bilhah. That's what that means, that I even may have children through her. And who does this sound like to you? Who's giving the maid to the husband? Sarah. Total replay of Sarah with Hagar. Good, good students. She gave him her maid, Bilhah. Jacob went into her. Bilhah conceived a son. Rachel said, God has judged me. He has heard my voice. He's given me a son. She claims that son is his own. That's her property. This child will be her property. She names him Dan. Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again. Bore Jacob a second son. Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled my sister and I have prevailed. And she called him Naphtali. So this is really turning into a baby wars. This is a <laughs> Competition, which sister can have more when? Who's going to get the next one, especially the sons? Leah saw that she had ceased in childbearing. She's getting a little older. She takes her maid Zilpah and gives her to Jacob to be a wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah boards another son for Jacob. And Leah said, This is my good fortune. And she named him Gad, which means good fortune. And Zilpah bore another son for Jacob. Happy am I. So they named him Asher, which means happy. Do you see what's happening? We're getting, Jacob now is getting objectified by his wife, by his wives. This is a whole new thing in biblical history, right? They want Jacob for his seed. You know, the two wives are using Jacob for a baby competition. It's baby wars. Now, the sisters pull out all the stops when they start using mandrakes to achieve pregnancy. And mandrakes are mentioned in the Song of Solomon. They are an aphrodisiac. And it says that the mandrakes send out their fragrance. And at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my lover. So mandrakes are an aphrodisiac. They are from the nightshade, the belladonna family. They are used widely in medicinal purposes and magic. And they are alleged to shriek when they're pulled from the ground. They are poisonous. The berries are poisonous and they have um, alkaloids in them, hysychamine and scolopamine. And Josephus, do you remember Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes about mandrakes. He says this, a furrow must be dug around the root until the lower part is exposed. Then a dog is tied to the plant and after which the person tying the dog must get away. The dog endeavors to follow him and so easily pulls up the mandrake root but dies suddenly in instead of his master. After this, the root can be handled without fear. So they would have dogs pull these up so the person wouldn't die. Josephus records this in Jewish history. 
the mandrake plant. They look like a, a human body, the roots do, under the soil. And they were featured in Harry Potter, the mandrake. And they made Ron Weasley pull the mandrake with earmuffs on his ears because of the loud shrieking sound they allegedly make when they're being harvested. And they are used as hallucinogenetics. They've been long used in magical rituals. Rituals are used in Wicca and witchcraft still uses mandrake root to this day. But this isn't surprising because Laban was a polytheist. He served many gods, idols, divination, mandrakes, whatever. You'll see in the chapters to come, he'll have a problem with this, as will his daughter, Rachel. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field. He brought them to his mother, Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, give me, I pray, some of your son's mandrakes. And Leah said to Rachel, is it a small matter? You've taken away my husband. Now you also want my son's mandrakes. And Rachel said, then Jacob may lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. She really wants to use these to get pregnant. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and he said, you must come into me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he's furtherly getting objectified. Jacob's services are being purchased with mandrakes now. This is what it's come to. So he lay with her that night. God hearkened to Leah. She conceived. She bore a fifth son. Because God has given me my hire, because I gave my maid to my husband, she called his name Issachar. She conceived again. She bore a fifth, sixth son. And she said, God has endowed me with a good dowry. My husband's going to honor me now because I've given him six sons. She's one-upped me. And she named him Zebulon. And afterwards, she bore a daughter. One daughter, the only daughter of Jacob. Her name is Dinah. We'll hear about her in a couple weeks. Then God remembered Rachel. Rachel must have been working on her relationship with the Lord, praying to him. And God remembered her. He hearkened to her and he opened up her womb. This is similar to when God remembered Noah in chapter 8 of Genesis. God opened her womb. She conceived. She bore a son. And she said, God has taken away my reproach. She named his name Joseph. And she added, may the Lord... Lord God add to me another son. And he did. He will give her another baby in Genesis chapter 35. She named him Bonini as she was dying, the son of her sorrow on that road to Bethlehem near Epithah. So those will be the 12 tribes of Israel. This is all the kids minus Dinah. We got to cut her out. She's a woman. She doesn't count as one of the 12 tribes. It can only be males. So the 12 tribes of Israel come from four different mothers. And these will be very important for you to know forever as you go through the Bible, because you'll always look back to Jacob's blessing in Genesis 49 and see which son and which tribe and did it come true. Yes, 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 yes. 12 sons from four mothers. What you sow is what you reap. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise and thank you that we're back together again in your word. And we pray that we might sow the fruits of the Holy Spirit, like joy and gentleness and patience and kindness and wisdom and knowledge of the Lord and fear, awesome fear of the Lord. We pray that we might sow good things, that one day too, we might reap good things and that you might use us in your harvest. The, the, the laborers are few and you want a great harvest of souls at the end, Lord God. So I ask that you help each of us this week to go out and sow what you would want for us to reap in the end, the eternal reward. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 28 through 30, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.